If you've followed past presidential races, you know that the rhythm of election night news coverage has a comforting predictability. A group of pundits sit around and fill as much airtime as they can, even though sometimes it takes hours for new information to come in. There's usually some kind of amazing new touchscreen map technology. John King is here over at the Magic Wall. Uh, breaking it down across the board, John King at the Magic Wall. John, break it down for us. And sometimes other kinds of technology, too. We're joined now uh, via hologram uh, with by uh, Will I Am, uh, who is live in Grand Park. Let's see if we can uh, beam him in now. Then, every 30 minutes or so, this happens. It is 9 p.m. on the East Coast, and we have just had a giant batch of poll closings. All the states that you see on your on your screen right now, both on the map and scrolling on the left side of your screen. In terms of projections of the race at this hour, we will start with some hotly contested ones. People Michigan, sit through ABC hours of cable news wackiness on election night waiting for that moment when a state and eventually the whole election gets called. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Meg Kramer. For our last episode before election night, we're taking a quick look at what you need to know in order to call a race. The major broadcasters get their vote counts and predictions through something called the National Election Pool. It relies on Associated Press stringers who call in vote totals from local polling places. It also collects exit poll information through a company called Edison Research. The AP uses all of that information, plus historical voter data on things like likely demographics, absentee voting, and past elections, to make the call. That's why you sometimes see networks calling a race in a place like Vermont, when less than 1% of the votes have been counted. Vermont is predictable. A bunch of newsrooms, including The New York Times and BuzzFeed, look to the AP's projections on election night. This year, BuzzFeed will also be taking in raw vote counts through an independent project called Decision Desk HQ. Decision Desk uses the same voting data the AP collects directly from voting districts. You'll hear from Decision Desk founder Brandon Finnegan a little later on in the episode. But first, I'm joined by Kate Nocera. She's managing editor of BuzzFeed's DC Bureau. And you may recognize her from the credits of No One Knows Anything. Hey, Kate. Hi, Meg. Okay, so I want to get to you know, election night predictions and how you call races. But first, can we just take a minute to appreciate, like, how weird cable news coverage of elections can get? I mean, I think that's why we've we've started to have, I know that uh, we're going to have reporters watching cable news because there are those moments that go super viral. They're really crazy. No one really knows what they're doing. They kind of know what they're doing. And then they've just been sitting there talking (laughs) for, like... I mean, at this point, two years, but (laughs) on the day of, it's going to be like nine hours of talking and people get tired and a little loopy. What are some of your favorite or what's one of your favorite like weird moments from from cable coverage of elections returns? So there is obviously the Will I Am hologram. In 2008. (laughs) That was so wild. It was so bizarre. My favorite, favorite moment was in 2012 when... Carl Rove and Megyn Kelly were fighting over Ohio. Rove had like a very distinct interest in Ohio going for Romney. Fox News had called it for uh, Obama. And Megyn Kelly had to march back to the decision desk with the cameras in tow. Megyn is going to go to the decision desk and interview them about the decision on Ohio. 
try to get to the bottom of this. It's right out the, out the door. They used to keep them right here with us in the studio. And then for some reason, whoa, careful. They walk down this long hallway. They're following her. This is the decision desk. Now we're in the heart of the decision desk room. Arnon, yes. you head this place up. Chris Steyerwalt, you've been doing all the number crunching. These guys behind you. You tell me whether you stand by your call in Ohio, given the doubts Carl Rove just raised. We're actually quite comfortable with the call in Ohio. Basically, everyone on Fox News, Brett Baer and Chris Wallace and Megyn Kelly, were like, no, we're right, Carl, sorry. And he just kind of loses his goddamn mind. And uh, it was a particularly, uh, I feel like, especially awkward moment in, in cable news on election night. I always get nervous that, like, something's going to go wrong with one of the wall maps. Like, they'll touch a state to turn it to blue or to red, and it won't respond. And then yeah. they'll all, like, I get, I get like, anticipation sweats of that kind of thing <laughs> happening. I'm sure they do, too. Like, what if John King touches the wall and it doesn't respond to his touch? No. <laughs> what happens? Well, I guess the good news about this year is that if anything weird happens on cable on election night, it will it be will the be, least weird thing exactly. <laughs> to happen all year. So can you walk me through how BuzzFeed will be making these calls, will be making vote projections on election night this year? Yeah. So we are definitely using uh, the information that Brandon and the folks at Decision Desk HQ uh, will be bringing in. But we want to be transparent about the process. Um, we will be looking to cable news. We will be looking to the AP. We, we want to have a second source. We want to make sure that we are right in our calls. And I don't think that there's a particular need to rush. Mm. You know, like, we want to be right. It's worse. People will remember when you're wrong. Yeah. And what I find so interesting about this is like how much the calls matter, like how much it matters that cable news calls the election on election night, because the official vote count doesn't come in until days later. Right. But candidates concede on election night. Candidates concede. Also, like, I feel like this election has been going on for so long that for everyone's just emotional well-being. People would like to know who the president is going to be <laughs> at the yes. end of Tuesday night. You know, like the thought of it going on even a day longer is just is very distressing. So BuzzFeed is doing something a little different this year, which is that if you go to our website, we start out with a map that gives the likely electoral college votes Already, they've already been given to Trump and Clinton on this map. Yeah, that's right. Because I think, and this is something that cable news won't tell you, right? Because they do need to fill that space. So that is why you see around, you know, the nine o'clock hour, someone, we're calling for Vermont. We're calling for Massachusetts. Like, it's this exciting thing to have happened when anyone who covers politics knows that that is what it was going to happen anyway. Mm. So I think we just want to... We just want to cut that step and we're just going to go straight to the fact that, you know, we are fairly certain that Hillary Clinton currently has 175 electoral college votes and Donald Trump has 78.
You and I talked with Brandon Finnegan, who founded Decision Desk HQ in 2012, back when he was working as a truck dispatcher and writing for a conservative blog called Ace of Spades. Basically, what he does on election night is work with a team of about 230 volunteers to crowdsource election results directly from voting districts, which means that sometimes he calls races before the AP does. And he joined us to talk about how he does it. Can you walk me through how how you make these calls on election night? What kind of information goes into it, where you get it from, and how all of that comes together? First, we decide which races we're going to cover. Then we contact the election authorities um, we will need results from for that race. Then we assign volunteers to either go in field if necessary or to be working from home using the methods that each of those election authorities have told us to use to get the numbers. Okay, so before election night even happens, you have already made contact with all of these clerks and people who are in charge of sending out the voting results. Yeah, and that's and then that's fun because you get to have you have hundreds of spreadsheets that all have checklists. They're effectively just checklists of all these clerks and how do they contact us? Who do we talk to? It's uh, it takes a lot of people. I mean, just for example, the state of Maine has well over four hundred and eighty individual reporting units. Okay, so once you get all of this <laughs> contact information. You make sure that you get voting results from each and every one of those people on election night? We have to get it from them in order to have the complete tally. And when it comes to, like, the volunteers who you're working with, how do you vet them and make sure that they're going to give you good information on election night? The way the volunteers are vetted is a lot of them are volunteers we've had for two or three years, so from experience and stuff. But we we do some basic backgrounds. If somebody sends us an email, and the email obviously looks wacky or goofy— like, you know, troll5000 at gmail.com. You know, we'll try to Google it and see if the person's actually serious. we we'll kind of send them a message saying, okay, if we don't get a confirmation back from them, we know they were just kind of doing something as a goof. They're flaking out. We run tests before the election. We have all these volunteers join the tests. Um, they commit to that where they'll type in number, d- dummy numbers. They'll communicate using the servers. They'll work with that. Work with that. They'll offer to help with background information and they'll help gather the background information together. Um, which is confirmed. And um, that's how we kind of – we vet them as they, as they go. And we have the ability to eliminate somebody if they you – know, if someone, God forbid, ever got through all of that and just wanted to mess with something, we can just turn them right off. So we don't have to face – you don't have to deal with that. And, but people don't typically invest themselves that much. No one really invests that much time and energy just to deliberately do something wrong because it's not a process that takes 15 minutes. This is something that takes hours, days of commitment from people. They're not going to spend that much time just to go LOL and walk away. So once you collect all that information, you input it into your system, what do you do with that information when you get it? Well, we have – I have just mountains of old files in my computer that have all the election results from the last few cycles. So I kind of watch those and study those. I'm a numbers guy. I have a pretty good memory and I like – you know, I use this as a reference if I have to go back and look at them. But I know roughly which counties are going to break the way they're going to break. Uh, if a Republican's going to win, if a Democrat's going to win or if it comes close, what the map should look like. Now, this is an interesting year. So you have to factor in the Trump voter, the reluctant Trump voter, the Republican that decided not to vote for Trump, how they're going to actually play out, how those counties would, would show up. 
But if you have enough data from you know historical data to look at, you kind of see a pattern in how people vote. And so you can kind of baseline both parties. Okay, they should get you know this kind of percentage out of this county, or they should get this kind of they should be allowed this kind of a lead here. We know from history where they're going to get their votes from. There's a certain point in the night where a point of no return, where the trailing candidate cannot possibly make up the votes. And by determining that point, okay, look, they can't make up this vote, then you have to call it for the leader because they're not going to lose. They've, they're that far ahead. There is no hidden stash of votes really in these other places for this losing candidate to make up the ground. So there's just that point of no return, and that's kind of the big key for me is, okay, there's no way this person is going to catch up. They've lost the election. Let's call it for the winner. Has there ever been a call that you made that you were pretty sure of? But maybe you started freaking out about it. Like if people are on Twitter, were saying, no, that that there's no way that's wrong. There was the time I got something wrong, oh. which was uh, the Michigan presidential primary on the Democratic side. Um, we called the race for Hillary Clinton and ended up going to Bernie Sanders. And as the numbers kept coming in after 9 p.m., right after the call was made, I'm looking at the numbers that are coming in. And I was like, oh, God, I was like. I've never screwed any of these up. It's like this is not good. It's what is like, that? What does uh, that feel like? Very awkward because you're 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 now in kind of a public person. You're working with a with a group that's you know being being trusted by the public to get things right. So you don't want to screw anything up. So what my immediate reaction to this is okay. Well, as soon as this is clearly wrong, and it was declared wrong, obviously in about an hour, hour and a half later, I say okay, I'll just own this. You know, we'll explain why we screwed it up. And um, we'll just uh, we'll we'll enjoy the ride that we that we'll enjoy the ribbing we get on Twitter. And one of the desk's key people, Miles Coleman, has a friend through a website called U.S. Election Atlas, who was a Bernie supporter. And he made a wonderful Photoshop that I have framed in my house, and it is a photoshopped image of Bernie Sanders holding up that famous. Um, Dewey Defeats Truman magazine, but it's, it was our tweet. It was the Decision Desk's tweet calling it for Clinton. And I loved it. And like, look, you have to be humble about this because you, what, what are your other options? To be arrogant about it? To be, you know, to let it ruin you? No. There has been a lot of early voting numbers that have come out of like Florida and Nevada. Uh, mm-hmm. How much, how closely are you looking at those? How do those factor into an election night? Does it, you, will those states be easier for you to call because you have this early information or does it make it harder because those voters tend to be, you know, more Latino, African-American going to the polls, more maybe more Democratic and it's just skewing that way? That actually is a – the reasoning you gave is actually a reason to that, that, that it's helpful. For example, um, when Florida reports its results – the state of Florida, um, each of these counties in the state of Florida, the supervisor of elections, will report all of the early votes they've already have banked in the system, tabulated, whatever. Pretty much right after the polls close, they'll pull that information out of the computer and boom, there out it goes. The early voting, the absentee voting up to that point, that's the first run of results you get out of Florida. So you can make some determinations there. So in Florida, if we're watching on election night and once all of Florida has effectively started reporting its early vote, if Hillary Clinton doesn't have a substantial lead in the early voting, it's a good chance that she could actually lose the state. Now, if she has a pretty sizable lead out of early votes, then it bodes well for her. If she has a very narrow lead, 
I would say that that probably tips things a little bit to Trump, and you'd want to wait to see same-day voting to see if that does follow the typical pattern we're used to, early voting being more Democratic, election day voting being more Republican. And I'll tell you, even though I like calling races and it's fun to beat the big guys at it, the races that I find the most fun are the ones where nobody has any idea what's going on, where the pattern doesn't hold, where counties don't follow the way they're supposed to follow, where this race is going like this, but this race isn't going like this at all. I like when things don't make sense. Why? Well, I, it's kind of like um, my one of my big hobbies is amateur. I'm an amateur astronomer, and I love reading. I'm not, I like reading about discoveries, but I like reading when the discoveries or where they test something out and it's wrong, and then they can't find an explanation for something where they're finding something. Because for me, there's no fun in something that's that's easy. So, what do you think is going to be the hardest state to call this year? I think that. The toughest state for people to call is going to be either North Carolina or Pennsylvania. And I'll say Pennsylvania is going to be tricky because when the numbers first come out in Pennsylvania, it's going to look like a huge Clinton landslide because, again, Philadelphia reports first. And is that just because their technology is better and their clerks send you their emails earlier? They have a more integrated system. They take it seriously about getting their numbers out. I mean, you know, come on. Look, if you if you run a if you run an election district that for years is accused of you know pumping ballots or, or fraud, wouldn't you want to get your stuff out cleanly, mm, clearly, yes. quickly? <laughs> and they do a great job of it. So does the city of Chicago. City of Chicago is the fastest reporting unit in the entire state of Illinois, despite being the most populated. And in Philadelphia, they report really quick. Then Allegheny, which is also very democratic. Then your suburban areas, which are less democratic, and then everything else. And it's the question mark is the everything else. So if you know, we, we, I would not feel comfortable with calling it until we have votes from a, a wide swath of the state instead of just, oh, see, it just confirms the well, – no. The polling has been that Clinton has a lead in Pennsylvania and North Carolina roughly gives it to Clinton too in polling averages. But just because the poll says it's this <laughs> and the first result you get out of the bank says it's this doesn't mean it's that. You have to wait for it. We, we do know that this year has been especially polarizing and contentious, I would say more so than any election in recent memory. Do we know if the consequences of making a bad call or having to walk back a call are more serious this year because there is, you know, more scrutiny and less trust in general? I think that there's, there's always an emphasis on being right. Because no one remembers if you were first after a few years or cycles, but everyone remembers if you're wrong. So there's always a natural pressure for these networks to not screw it up. Uh, but I think that there's yeah, there probably is a little bit more of a pressure on, okay, let's really be certain of this call so we don't cause a problem or a headache. I mean you, you could imagine the chaos if, for example, they called the state of Pennsylvania at like 9 o'clock for Hillary Clinton and then it turns out that the votes keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and Hillary's finishing off with like a a thousand vote lead by the time they have everything that's been reported without including provisionals or absentees. I mean you I could imagine that a lot of people that are supporting Donald Trump would go apoplectic and rightfully so because that, that does seem really early of a call to make. I think the hardest problem with big elections – is that when somebody screws up and says, oh, you know what? We think we, we messed this up. It was too close. It's too early. We're going to pull this back. Then, then, then when they switch it back, 
And oh, no, no, everything was fine. I think that switchback and that dis- almost dismissive, oh, everything's good, without a follow-up, hey, you know, we're not going to let this happen again kind of a deal. That's where I think people get kind of distrustful of things. I mean I think there's a lot of people on the left who are still hold a grudge about what happened in 2000. And I think that they still – a lot of them still believe that Bush stole the election. I don't believe that. But you know, we already have an environment where hyperpartisan people really are convinced that the world is X and nothing is going to convince them that the world is Y. So anyone who tells them that the world is Y is suspect. And if someone telling the world is Y suddenly changes their mind then changes back, that just confirms what they really believe, that it's all rigged or that it's all – they don't know what they're doing and they're, they're trying to kick things down the road. So you know, this, this, this I, I, I get it. This, I've gotten at this cycle when we call primary races and like Wisconsin, we called it for to Ted Cruz and it was obviously going to Ted Cruz. Um, with the votes that we had, but people really have it in their head that no, it can't think things cannot be because I don't want them to be, and they're just louder and more vocal this year. Well, we will be following along on Tuesday night as you are making these calls, Brandon, Kate. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for having me on. No One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer, with editorial oversight from Kate Nocera. Hello. And Eleanor Kagan. And production support from Nina Patak, Julia Furlan, and Chiquita Pascal. Our music was composed by Beauty Pill. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at No One Knows, or you can email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. That's all for now, and we'll be back soon with more things we don't know. <laughs>